Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Steph, and this is the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. I hope everyone is okay. It's almost half term, and I've done absolutely nothing about organising anything for anyone to do or taking time off work, so I can feel that kind of nervous twitch coming So if anyone else is feeling a bit twitchy, I'm there. Um, Join me. (laughs) Today's episode might actually help us pause for breath and kind of reframe things a bit. You can't do it all the time. And I don't think as incredible as they are, my guests today are immune from normal feelings of frustration from kind of everyday life. But they definitely help with a good dose of perspective. It's our third episode of the Lost for Words series, talking about life events that can leave people not sure what to do or say. And I'm talking about cancer with Leanne Perrault and Emma Campbell, two excellent, ridiculously compassionate and high achieving women. Leanne started a dance company when she was 15 years old, which is still going. And she's founded Black Women Rising. It's a charity that supports women of colour. And it came after her own cancer diagnosis. And she realised there was a lot of stigma around cancer in the black community, which we talk about. But also that black experiences of cancer were being excluded from like cancer charity campaigns and kind of NHS support and communication. Um, She has also won awards for her role in business and as a campaigner. But I think topping all that is a massive mural of her face on a wall in Peckham as a local inspirational hero. It's absolutely huge, just of her face. Um, it's something to aim for, team, because it's uh, you have to Google Leanne Perro mural. It's amazing. She looks amazing. Uh, Emma is a writer. She's published a memoir in 2018. She faced three cancer diagnoses. Um, she teaches writing workshops. She speaks about cancer in business. I actually met Emma around 2015 when she was speaking about her second diagnosis and was just drawn to her very honest and raw way of describing her experience. She also has four children including triplets so quite a lot on her plate. Um, Emma and Leanna spoke with me about diagnosis, they're really honest about the fear that having cancer leaves with you. Uh, We talk about strategies to cope and have a focus on gratitude. I don't think either of them realise how thoughtful and wise they are but I think they've had to kind of get there through everything they've been through. And um, it's just great that they are able to put it into words and help other people. Uh, Both women have worked with me, uh, helping us with our Standard Cancer Care package, which we launched back in 2017 with our lovely friend, Deb James. And it's probably one of the things I'm most proud of at Don't Buy Her Flowers. It's a big one for us. Um, My husband, Doug, was diagnosed back in 2010. And I feel like cancer changes your family just from someone in it being diagnosed, let alone going through it as these women have. 
I'd just like to quickly thank Natural Mat for sponsoring this series. They have been hand making organic beds and mattresses in Devon since 1999. And I'll tell you more about them in a bit, but you can get 15% off your first Natural Mat order with the code DBHF15. Now, on to the episode. I started by asking them about their diagnosis. Emma, do you want to start? I was diagnosed with primary breast cancer in 2010, which always kind of takes my breath away especially as we're into a new year and I'm like god it's nearly 13 years ago yeah I had a large tumor at diagnosis I've been ignoring changes in my breasts due to other circumstances had a five centimeter tumor lymph node involvement and was given chemotherapy to shrink it for having a mastectomy lymph node removal reconstruction hormone treatment physically I did really really well emotionally not so much but I'm sure we'll touch on that and then I had a second diagnosis at the end of 2014 so that put me in the secondary category and then I had a third diagnosis four years ago January 2019 so I've been on regular chemo or maintenance treatment for eight years now. I think lots of people don't get that you can have cancer that can kind of go on and my husband Doug was diagnosed his cancer isn't cured because it's not a curable cancer at this stage but it hasn't done anything for 10 or 11 years and he has to have the regular check and stuff so people go oh it's great to hear he's got the it's, it's great he's better and you kind of go yeah because I can't be bothered to go well actually funny one with me it feels like sometimes you know I feel incredibly aware like overwhelmingly aware of my good fortune in that I'm stage four I'm technically would be described as incurable but I so far have had these very long periods of remission and stability mm-hmm. and no evidence of disease the miracle of that is that if, I wish I'd known 13 years ago that that could happen and that yeah. a secondary diagnosis wasn't a shortcut to a very premature end yeah. so I'm very aware that I'm in a category that not everyone has the good fortune to find themselves in but you don't ever quite exhale, you know, and like, and like I say, I'm on I no. have chemo every three weeks. So it's... You're never done. You're it, For you at the moment, you're never like go, oh, I can just yeah. completely put that behind and have a break. That's a lot, Em. That is a lot. as a mental challenge, which, yeah, we will talk about, but that's huge. Yeah. And the volume goes up or down depending on, you know, all sorts of things. The cancer dial, as mm. I call it. Yeah. And what about you, Leanne? So I was diagnosed sort of, Gosh, six years ago now. Gosh, yeah, like six months after my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time. So I sort of nursed her through her breast cancer diagnosis. And then six months later, I had mine, which was like just so bizarre. And everyone in my family was really, really shocked because I was only young as well. And that was really tough. And I just went through like eight rounds of chemo. I had both of my breasts removed in the end with a reconstruction and... Yeah, a year later, I was told I was in remission. Just completely and utterly just rocked my world, as I say to everybody, and is why I now do the work that I do now. So, yeah. yeah, so we could very quickly mention Black Women Rising, which is the charity that you set up. So yeah. one, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you both was about how other people reacted around you, because mm-hmm. some people for us were amazing. And actually, like, we had this system where because we were young our friends were like in shock I think which meant that some of them went into like oh my god and you almost you had to take on their stuff as they processed it which is a big deal I think for people to maybe understand Mm. 
and not to do. Mm-hmm. There were also other people who were amazing and they had this kind of, we had this network of friends where we would talk to one person because it got, I was pregnant mm-hmm. as well. It got too much. So we kind of ended up with this system where we would tell one person, they would give the information to everyone else. Uh, yes, and smart, that yeah. worked really well, actually, because it because, because as you all know, the, the information is like, changing mm. constantly mm. and it's like what's going to happen next what's the treatment what's the different test yeah. results and stuff but yeah I mean Leanne you talked about the shames this is where the charity mm. came from yeah I think first and foremost when I got diagnosed my official diagnosis came a couple of days after my 31st birthday because of what happened to my mum the hospital had told me before because obviously when you go through the checks and they they can they can see what's on those screens you Mm. know what I mean so they Mm. kind of told me before I was officially diagnosed so I kind of knew and I remember even when I was telling people when I knew before the official appointment with everything else I remember telling everyone that something's wrong I've got to start making some plans and whatever and even the leaflets they gave me when I left the hospital said, you've just been diagnosed with breast cancer. And then it was just the disbelief. Oh, no, that's that's a lie. And it can't be. You know, you're so healthy. I was a health and fitness dance instructor for many years. You know, I've always lived a very healthy life. And um, so everyone was really, really shocked. But when I got my official diagnosis, all of those people sort of retreated. And then the, the more sinister things, I think, were said, stuff like, and this is people being totally unaware, but it's like, Oh, I think it's the drinking, you know, all the drinking that you do. I think it's um, your stress, you know, you've been running a business, like you're always stressed out, you take life too seriously. And there was all this kind of connotations of just this blame. Mm -hmm. And then the more severe things were, was when somebody who is close to me, that a friend that knows my mum is mixed race, she said, well, it must be the white gene because black people don't get cancer. And... I remember at that point thinking, wow, these people honestly don't have an absolute clue. And what ignorant bubble was I living in when my mum mm-hmm. had been diagnosed those two times? Because when I was saying these things, my mum was my mum was like, yeah. She was like, listen, the, the stigma I've heard about me having breast cancer is huge, my mum said. Mm. It was as I got through the beginning stages of my journey and I met other women on the ward and stuff like that where that I realised my god there was so much stigma around cancer because a lot of the time you know a lot of people always think that it's like black women rising against everybody you know sort of campaigning for like just you know equal rights with healthcare and all that stuff yes that is a part of our work but it's only 50 percent. the other 50 percent is actually dealing with the stigma in our community so there's a lot of inner work happening around destigmatizing these chronic illnesses the ideals that they have around them like we've got women that are coming in, getting diagnosed with cancer and not taking the drugs. Do you know how concerning that is? Oh, when these women God. are being told not to take chemo even... by their churches or their religious groups or family and friends yeah. that are saying, we will pay for you to go on a raw vegan diet and have a vegan specialist with you. Oh, and I God. kid you not, these girls, nine times out of ten, end up dead. You know? Yeah. And... It's something that we're seeing such a huge pattern of in our community. So, yeah, in the initial stages, it was all about creating a safe space for these women to come and talk. Because we can't have these conversations in white support groups, you know, in white dominated support groups. People would be like, what the hell is going on here? They wouldn't understand. Mm. Sometimes you need to be around people that just get it. And Black Women Rising was that safe space where people just completely got it 
come in for your hour or two every couple of weeks and then go home. And actually that was just enough for those women at the time, just to have some people that they could relate to and understood. And is it changing? Is it kind of quite generational as well? So like your mum's generation would be passing that information on, but perhaps your, our generation, hopefully less stigmatised about it or... Still I don't like, really yeah. think that I think that there's there's a lot I think that, that it comes from somewhere so I do think it's like older generations of people mm. uh, passing things down but actually if you look at even in the last couple of years the movement with veganism and you know in, in all fairness all the healing properties that are happening with food and juices and all of these things actually that's a lot of younger people you know and mm. adapting that thinking applying that to illnesses and so it's like all these old ancient myths and taboos and stigmas are kind of replaying themselves out in different ways now so it's just about misinformation and that's what you know we're all about is actually supplying people with the right resource and tools they need so that they can make informed decisions about their health Mm. but feel empowered to do so as well yeah God, it's massive, isn't it? I remember um, yeah. we did a stand up to cancer event that Doug and I were at and Saima, who I know was a friend of yours, yeah. was talking and she kind of, everyone was talking and then she kind of stood up and just made a, re- a few really harsh but yeah. good points about yeah. people with darker skin or black women, brown women and just was like, more needs to be done because I think because stand up to cancer were there she was like I've got this opportunity to say it I remember that I wasn't there but I remember yeah she was fighting the good fight but that idea of shame is really interesting because actually like Emma I don't know if it's so much shame but where you've said that each time you've had a diagnosis you should have had it earlier or you could have had it earlier you've known in your body but something's held you off pure fear and I've always been very very honest about um, how easily I slip into denial and how you know, I, talk, I talked a lot about this with Debs, you know, how she would sit at the hospital pouring over her graph of numbers and markers. And I would be like, don't, you know, anyone who's ever treated me at a cancer hospital knows I don't want to know numbers. I don't want to. So in terms of each diagnosis, I seem to have had quite a lot of dramas that have run, run alongside them. So first time round, you know, my relationship had just broken down. The triplets were tiny. My eldest son was six. I was living in this kind of highly stressed, highly alert state Mm. in survival mode. So, and having had IVF treatment and having expressed milk for three babies for a cut, it was very, and lost a lot of weight due to all sorts of things. It was very easy to go, gosh, you know, and for me, it was, it was a small lump that I'd had since my eldest son was tiny and I'd had it checked and it was mm. there in my hands. It always gone towards it, kind of prodding my boob. I'd always been aware of it, mm. but I'd been told it was okay. And it was only during the pregnancy and in the months after the babies were born. I was like, where's that lump gone? And it turned out that that lump had become, a, you know, this very large tumour. Each time I've had a diagnosis, it's like, right, I've, I've learnt my lesson now. I'll, I'll always get anything checked. I, I, I just, the fear, as much as I can see how far I've come with managing my emotional well-being and anxiety and the catastrophic thinking, I've come a huge way from the person who saw cancer everywhere she went, even mm-hmm. in those years of remission. Good. But there's still something in me that I, I can't look at you both and say, if a pain developed in my shoulder or hip mm-hmm. or back tomorrow, that the next day I would be on the phone. I don't think that's uncommon mm-hmm. though, because I think I no. like Doug. Doug is hyper vigilant. Yeah. So yeah. If, with the kids, like Mabel has got arthritis, 
she was at the hospital having all the tests as soon as she had like mm-hmm. a swelling. And I was a bit like, all right, calm down. But he's like, no, 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 because he, he lived it. So, and I think I've always thought, yeah, because of what we've been through, if anything was wrong with me, I'd be the same. But I've had various lumps or things that have happened and I've taken ages to get them checked. And I think it is like part of it is that the period of life that we're in is this kind of rush hour where there's loads going on and you're trying to look after everybody and all of that stuff. So you kind of put it to the bottom of the pile. And also it's like if I can hold off from having anyone tell me that there's something wrong, then maybe there isn't anything wrong. Our mind plays tricks on us, doesn't it? You do this kind of bargaining thing. Yeah. We're all juggling so much. So therefore... Mm. We're kind of holding it all together and it's like, I can just about keep everything afloat, but no, I'm just going to tune out from that niggle. But the fact is, and this is what's always baffled me about myself, is that the years, particularly between my first diagnosis and the second, then my second to the third, again, about four years. So I'm at this kind of slightly anxiety inducing phase at the moment, time-wise, but each time for the whole year before my third diagnosis... I could feel changes in my breast. And the weird thing is, is that unlike the other times when it was like, oh God, life's already on the floor. I can't face anything else. This time life was feeling good. I had personal happiness and I felt like I'd come through and it was almost like, no. So then I went into like the opposite end of denial because Mm. I didn't want to kind of bring myself down from what finally felt like a happy place. Mm. You know, and um, the tragedy is it was as much as everyone around me would say close friends witness me in those extreme long phase, chronic phases of anxiety. It's like, just make the call and just, you know, holidays ruined, honeymoon ruined, because in my head I'm thinking something's amiss. Mm. Just make the call. Come on, you'll feel so much better. And I want to kind of scream going, you have no idea. It's almost like I would rather sit in the agony of what if than actually the physical act of picking up that phone or emailing the consultant or calling the hotline or the GP is just, it's like a form of paralysis. Mm. So I'd rather put myself through the mental torture, that's how I've been so far anyway, mm-hmm. than actually do the thing. And then each time, the minute you take the action and the minute you start the ball rolling, however hideous it is with scans, blood tests, sitting in the waiting room waiting none of that is as bad as the agony of not knowing but somehow I still haven't quite learned that if that makes sense Mm. and I think that's where you know as part of our chat I'm sure we'll touch on it but for people who who are fortunate not to have been touched by cancer Mm. this is what is playing in our heads Mm. to a greater or lesser degree so much of the time and that's the unseen stuff. That's the unseen side of, of living with or after mm. cancer. I think, Leanne, you said that how your life has changed from having mm. cancer and, and the way that you experience things, which could be really joyful things, but it's kind of, you've got that veil over you now having been through cancer. Mm. Can you explain that a bit? Well, it's exactly what Em said around the anxiety. You know, you're living in a state of anxiety and you've got to look the biggest thing I think when you've had cancer is the fear of it coming back Mm. I don't think that anybody can say that that is not probably at the forefront of your mind if you looked at the top thing that's like you know bothers you about your cancer diagnosis is the worry that it's coming back Mm. and then you know if you are um, unfortunately one of those people where it does come back the worry is then death you know and when is it going to happen and all the people losing behind and blah 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 um and one of the reasons why 
me and the online world have to take a break from each other is because mm-hmm. that fuels me being on there. And don't get me wrong, I love everybody in the cancer community and I made some wonderful bonds with people, but there are constant triggers and reminders of that anxiety. Mm. I think we are we we are pushed a narrative around cancer that there's always going to be bad stories. And, you know, about two no end of back end of 2021, I ended up having three months off because I was in such a bad state of health anxiety. I did have burnout, but I had extreme health anxieties. I woke up one morning and literally cried down the phone to my friend because I was convinced I was going to die. And that was because there had been three women from the Black Women Rising community who were close friends of mine that died one after the other. And um, I'd got myself in such a bad state of anxiety. And I thought to myself for those three months where I couldn't eat, I'd lost so much weight, I couldn't get out of bed, I had to have people to look after me, I couldn't be on my own. And I had to put some healthy boundaries in place. Mm. Um, And it wasn't an ego thing, it was an inner thing, you know what Mm. I mean? And I was like, right, one of the things I know I've got here is health anxiety. I had both of my breasts removed and the type of operation I have, I have a lot of scar tissue. So I'm constantly in pain. I go to the gym and I work out. If I use weights, I'm in pain. And that Mm. pain can last for a week. And what I was finding around me was there was people that heightened the anxiety. Oh, if there's something there, go and get it checked out. And every time I was going to the doctors and every time I was going and getting scanned, everyone was like, it's fine. Everything's cool. And what I was realizing was, If I want this to change and the way that I think about all of this, I've got to change. It took me a long time to find the person I work with now, the practitioner I work with, but I'm doing some emotional freedom technique training and doing a little bit of EMDR as well. And it's just about retraining my thought process and my brain because it wasn't living for me. I wasn't living. Mm. I'm now like even I've just seen the podcast that Emma's put out with us but I've actually not been on social media for about six to seven weeks I come on I've posted twice in about seven weeks and that's it and it started off with just a two-week detox and then I realized I'm enjoying this way too much and I missed the usual stuff that happens with people posting bad news that's showing always up on my feed first why because it gets always the most engagement so it goes straight to the top But what is that doing? It's showing a narrative that there is constantly bad news in the cancer community. And that is not true. There's Mm -hmm. actually a lot more success stories of cancer than there are bad. But we're not being shown that Mm -hmm. because as a a community and as and as people on this earth, we're constantly fed a lot of sad stories, a lot of trauma. And that is always going to be popular than just someone posting up a picture of them going to a party and and for me this is what I believe and I am a massive believer in that creating a lot and a lot of anxiety for a lot of people Mm -hmm. who are living as cancer survivors or even people that have been given a stage four diagnosis and they're relatively doing okay Mm -hmm. it's creating a lot of anxiety and I know it because I talk to people all the time and I've you know, my membership now with Black Women Rising is moving on to 300 women now that we're working with. And these are the things that come back to me all the time. I can't be online. I find it a really not a great place to be. 
This series is sponsored by Natural Mat, makers of organic beds and mattresses, which they've been handmaking in Devon since 1999. When Natural Mat founder Mark and his wife Alice had their son Luke back in 2000, they were shocked by the synthetic materials and chemicals they found inside baby mattresses at the time. Within six months, they launched the first ever natural and organic baby mattress to pass all British standards with absolutely zero chemicals. Just 100% natural, and when it comes to where your baby sleeps, natural fibres are superior in every single way. They're more comfortable, more supportive, and more breathable, which all contribute to the healthiest and safest night's sleep for your baby. Frankly, anything that might improve a baby's sleep and therefore give parents more sleep is a winner. And Don't Buy Her Flowers listeners can get 15% off their first natural mat order using the code DBHF15 either online or in their London, Devon or Cotswold showrooms. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because I know for both of you, you'll have met people through that community that has really helped you or you at times where you've been able to yeah. share your stories and that kind of thing. But I think you talked about it on something I listened to, Leanne, and you were kind of saying it's almost glamorized like this there's people not selling their story but that's that they're motivated to keep telling the story because it gets the like exactly as you say it gets the likes it gets the feedback yeah, 100%. But, but I'm then, a big believer of that yeah but but then at the same time you're then in that circle and you've almost that becomes 
central to who you are and like you said there's you have a person who has had cancer but you're also a person with all these other things going on there's one line that you said was that you you said move the fuck on and get on with your happy healthy life and I just thought (laughs) but yeah like and it's really blunt but I can see as someone who hasn't had cancer I can see how you could get sucked in and also there are opportunities right like I remember seeing people post that couldn't get how Deb James who we all knew was like having all this success and I'm using the finger quotes because one she was just amazing broadcaster but people were Mm -hmm. kind of thinking oh she's getting all these opportunities because of the cancer is that right does that feel weird and so people were kind of wanting to chase that that is really messy because I know I can remember Deb saying like oh I would give all of this up to be well and that was the key point right and I often say to people, look, just do the curtain twitching, you know, make it work mm-hmm. for you. If there are mm-hmm. times when you, if you're not brave and if you don't feel like you need to speak or share your story, look, Absolutely. look for the stories of hope. But at the same time, so I remember it initially feeling like a huge comfort. Mm-hmm. But then exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, on one hand, we think we're part of this community and we're all, we're all holding each other. But at the same time, you put your phone down and you've seen, you know, devastating mm-hmm progression or the loss mm. of someone and all of that and you're essentially still on your own we're on our own in life anyway but you know you can feel so wrapped up in it at certain times but it, it's never gonna it's still got to deal with our own stuff and we've got to deal with our own thoughts about it and I think it's so important and I and I I don't really like using the whole survivor's guilt because I I live with cancer and I'm not you know I, I live with it and I'm at the hospital every three weeks so that's a that's a fact mm. but the mm the feeling of gosh I think it's human nature to be triggered mm. by each other and I think we can own that actually you know and of course if we can all when we're in a low state ourselves it's of course we're going to look to our left or our right and think well you don't get it because I'm I'd give anything to be where you are or I do it's all kind of but it's constantly changing and, and fluctuating and mm. I feel like a it's a weirdest thing it's like 13 years on I've had so many chapters of my I've had so many different Emmas with cancer or in remission or with a new diagnosis that I feel like I've gone through so many sort of evolutions of, of mm-hmm. who I am and how I deal with it. And I'm very aware that mm. there's a stronger chance than not. I'm not in denial about the fact that there's a stronger chance than not that at some point I'll find myself in a very difficult situation again. But for someone who spoke 15 minutes ago about how easily they slip into denial I also kind of like to live with a bit of a healthy denial as well if I'm currently doing okay for my own selfish for me doing the kind of finger quotes reasons I need to live as though I'm okay didn't your son say that to you it was an incredibly profound sort of moment for me he was 15 at the time it was the day of my third diagnosis and I got the phone call having again having spent a year ignoring the changes and I got the phone call from the oncologist saying yep you know got the scan results there's because cancer in your breast and and your lung and Jake came unexpectedly in from school early and my family were there and my husband was there and everyone was sort of ashen and grey-faced and my dad you know was tears streaming down his face and Jake walked in you know like and went a bit white himself and I took him for a walk and just had a very sort of gentle chat with him and was just trying to say, look, it's okay, this is what's happening, but, you know, I'm going to have treatment. And he didn't say a word. He's 15, very quiet boy, very sort of quite insular. And as we got towards home, we left the park, he just said, mum, you've got to live like it's not there. Mm. And it was like 
the the gods, the universe had spoken to me. It was like a message of, I would say that was a fundamental point of change for me. And because I was living at a sort of permanent rock bottom with the, the health anxiety, it was so hard to find the colour and the lightness. And, and that began this mindset of, we've all got an it, we've all got something, we've all got something that's got the potential to dominate our lives and steal the joy and and somehow how do we shrink it and how do we find a place for it and and that's what I did endeavour to do and I was so lucky, you know, that year I had another mastectomy, I had lung surgery but the tumour turned out to be benign which was an incredible miracle. It was the beginning of a conscious but I don't always, it's impossible to, you're not always in that state. But you no, can't be, I think, well, how, how, so what's your ways of doing I know I think Leanne I heard you talk about gratitude and actually do you know what I have never everyone always talks about gratitude journals and I've never had any I've always been like oh no that just it's not the thing for me and then last week I was just having one of those really dark I guess weeks where Mm. it's just like I don't know how to get out of this and I'm not and I don't Mm. like just mentally not feeling great and I listened to your podcast. It was you on the walking podcast, I think. You're talking about gratitude. Yes, and you were saying, was, yeah. and you're like, I don't have time for people who can't put that in because it's fundamental, because you've you've seen, I guess, mm. if you've been diagnosed with cancer, you've lived with the reality of, fuck, I could die, mm. even though we all should have that all the time. Mm. Um, but I started making a note and I was like, I don't need a journal. I don't need to make this fancy. I just need a post-it yeah. note. And when I go That's to bed, it. I need to write some stuff on it. And I did. And... I kept thinking about it. The next, the things I'd written mm. down the next day kept coming back to me. And I was like, oh, maybe this is yeah. what I was talking about. Just take it. it is magic. I tell you what, I was a skeptic years and years ago yeah. in my late twenties when I had a really awful breakup. And I tell you what, my sister walked in and gave me a book about gratitude. And I kid you not, that book changed my whole life. And it mm. was just a book. She was like, you don't have to have anything extra. Just just do this book for 28 days and you'll see. I mm. kid you not. I give her thanks. I give her her props every time she introduced me to the world of gratitude. The most craziest magical things happened. And gratitude is the art of just giving thanks when you don't think you've got things to be thankful for. Yeah. So I like to use this example. And this was one of the first examples I learned in the book was you know, when you're trying to drive somewhere and you get a flat tire and it's actually saying, well, thank you for this flat tire because actually this could have ended up worse if I had had an accident. So thank you for this flat tire because now I've stopped in a safe space so that I can fix this car rather than looking at it as a, oh, da, 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 da. And it was just the art of being able to completely switch situations around, mm-hmm. you know. I found doing that, even in my lowest of my low through cancer, I, I didn't, do what I usually usually do I did three things three things that I'm really thankful for and it just completely I think gratitude really changed my life from there 100% and and absolutely agree I mean I got I've got my one and only tattoo is gratitude and I got that yeah I've got gratitude the last the new chemo started four years ago but I think the other thing that gratitude does it brings us back to the now you know, of course it does. when you're dealing with an, you know, a crisis or whatever, we're, and mm. just the mm. nature is to be one step ahead. And what if, what if, what if? And mm. my darkest, darkest moments have always been in those kind of in the the waiting, the waiting room, the waiting. You know, just the, and it would be as simple as, and I, I have to still I have to hook into it now, even though things, as far as I know, are going okay. Mm. There's never, a, there's never a Wednesday at the hospital when I'm not feeling that heightened state. But it is essentially that kind of thank you for this chair, thank you for this 
weak cup of tea in the polystyrene cup. <laughs> Delicious. That brings me back to the now, you know. And I remember the, another real profound sort of thing, when I began to look into gratitude. I bought a card and it said, replace anxiety with gratitude. They can't live in the same space. Mm. You could listen to this and think, yeah, yeah. But we're all just slowly but surely gathering tools, emotional tools, aren't we? To, to, but I think know. also life is is so busy. Like mm. there's so much going on and the noise and whether that is social media or just the constant newsreel and plus family and the, it, there's so much. So I think, it felt like it just made me pause mm. and because yeah. I have got loads of lovely things I'm like I've, I think probably most of us have got loads of lovely things in our life even yeah. when the really shit stuff's happening yeah. Mm. Yeah. and thank you because I took I did take a lot from it and I'm like yeah that I need to keep that because and actually it's not like yes you need to you might need to do it all the time but it's almost when things are worse that it's got the most power because yeah that, when it's going to be hardest to find it right yeah <laughs> also though don't overthink it you know almost some you know when I'm really tuned in it's I'll say thank you before I put my feet on the carpet in the morning and I'll say thank you for cleaning my teeth it almost just becomes like a mindless mm. you know sometimes I'm walking down steps and I go thank you thank you thank you thank you like, <laughs> I'd love to be in your head <laughs> you know what I, yeah. I don't sound a bit doolally but no it, it doesn't it, it's it reminds me because when life has stripped you back and when life, when the floor's been, you know, pulled away from you and you are in the darkest and dark, darkest of times and you just can't see the light, anything that brings you back to possibility, because I think what cancer does, the light goes off, everything's hopeless, you're going to die in its crude, you know, most bleak form. Cancer mm-hmm. equals, and that's what it, cancer equals death. Mm-hmm. A secondary diagnosis equals a very, very quick, painful death. So to just slowly, slowly, slowly break that down in whatever way you can. And somehow it's learning to realise that there is room. It is possible to be faced with a cancer diagnosis, to be faced with a lifelong situation and still feel as happy as you've ever felt at certain times. But knowing that you're also going to have, it's hard, it's a rough, rough, bumpy road, but there's no arrival point, is there? There's no arrival point with any of any of what we're going through and particularly with the diagnosis Mm. one of the things I've learned spending a lot of time with people who unfortunately were gonna lose their life um, and we've we've had it with Black Women Rising where the deaths in the last couple of years have been relentless Mm. and spending time with these women is seeing how much hope they still have and I think what's really, really difficult is I've become so much more guarded of lately in regards to what I share. Because I used to be one of those people who was very much an open book. And what I realised, actually, me being so open about speaking about every part of my life, I realised, actually, that wasn't an act of self-care. That was me oversharing. And actually, me being quite guarded about some of the stuff that I think particularly when it came to talking about my trauma was also safeguarding my community because I think that there are some things that people just don't need to hear I've got my places and my safe spaces now where I can talk about my anxieties and I can talk about some of the things I find really difficult and actually me being so public about stuff sometimes I found it put me in a really vulnerable position Mm. and so what I've I've done is I've reverted back to where 
I think where I'm where I'm at my best is is in myself and looking at the tools that I can find for myself that are private to me that I can revert to when life continues as it does and we've seen it where life continues to throw crap at you and throw crap your way um, I think we are living in a time where you've seen it, you know, you think you've gone through one thing and then the next thing happens, you know what I mean? And talk about it all the time. It's just like, hold on. So where do you get to where there's like nothing happening? You need that box of tools that you can revert mm. to for various mm. different things. And what are they? And, and that's unique to every single person. Mm-hmm. But there is a beauty there, you know, It's and it's not a toxic positivity thing to say. It's there is a beauty there with always that there's always light at the end of the tunnel because I'm a huge believer and believe me because I've been there many times once you've hit rock bottom the only way you can go is up and what I've seen it even when I got diagnosed and I I reached a point that many times over I didn't want to be here when I heard those three words and then seeing it with the other women that I've known when they've had their secondary diagnosis or when they've been told listen you've got a couple of months left and still seeing the hope and seeing the beauty in that and seeing so many people still find a way to live life like one of my um the ladies that passed away recently a month before she passed she was with me at Notting Hill Carnival partying her life away and seeing this is the the way that people are grabbing onto life as much as they can I learned a lot from that and I've taken the lessons I've taken the learning from that and those are the things that I believe that I would like to pass on to so many other people when you are feeling like there is nothing else or no hope left look to these people and look at to the learning and look at to the the teachings of these people because actually in these really awful situations there's so much to grasp onto there's still so much there's so much to live for you could be in the most rotten place we're all at different places in our lives right now. Even as we come onto these podcasts, we can come on here with makeup and look great and all these things, but nobody knows what's going on in our private lives. So we show up as different versions of ourselves, however life is pushing and throwing us to. But the, the main thing I think always is is, is always to, to leave people feeling like there's hope you know because there is hope and there's beauty and there's beauty in learning there's so much beauty in tough times like my toughest times in my life do you think I look back now and say that I want to change those tough times hell no Mm -hmm. I would never change a thing because those have made me into the person I am now and those really difficult situations have have enabled me to build projects and resources for people in my community whether it's dance whether it's cancer that is enabled to empower hundreds of other people so I look at my impact in that way and I go actually well nothing is in vain you know and you share so much you know of of your lightness and your hope with so many other people do you see what I mean it's like this passing on in our communities and building these beautiful networks of people where people feel that there's hope amongst the really really tough times Mm. and that I live for and those are the types of people as I want to bring back to what you said earlier on today Steph around lots of people online being quite disingenuine sharing trauma for all the wrong reasons this is a really lovely example the three of us talking now of people who have shared their traumas Mm -hmm. and over maybe at times overshared as well because we care and because Mm -hmm. we can you know our trauma to yes definitely to help ourselves and 
aid as maybe some sort of diary or, or other support and connect with people, but also to help and empower so many others. And those are the types of people I could look at Instagram all day and look at my feed all day. Unfortunately, there are many people who are not, you know, and we're not going to talk about that, but I'm talking about hope and mm. leaving the listeners on a beautiful podcast like this in you know, me and them, despite what we're saying today and the, the tough times that we've spoken about, mm. there's still so much hope and so much beauty in the learning and our journeys, you know, and it doesn't stop. We're different ages, but look at the learning. It doesn't stop, mm. you know. It's so moving because as you're talking with such passion, it chokes me because the stretch marks that you feel of pain, you know, when pain hits and when and when those darkest, it's so uncomfortable on every level that when you start to get the tiniest little bit of distance or the tiniest you went you step tentatively into another phase mm-hmm. and it's so again you know I would never say flippant, flippantly or there are gifts there are gifts but there are fragments of mm-hmm. life-changing wisdom and gifts and insight and and again you know I feel and it's been interesting what you're saying about oversharing because I'm aware that I overshare whatever we're calling it I talk a lot but actually I think on one hand it's kind of I want people to know that probably we're all having similar thoughts but at the same time I've got to be very honest and Mm -hmm. I need it too Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm working myself out on this journey as as a patient as someone who doesn't quite know what the future holds and it's though it's almost oh it's it's just I find these conversations so um they sort of like and, and, it, and it's nice it's it's great that we're talking about this because I think oversharing is a very personal thing to you mm-hmm. for example my family and my community and, and particularly my household in terms of my mum my siblings I'm an I'm a complete oversharer mm-hmm. even though even now I, I put limits on mm-hmm. the amount of oversharing I do for my mental health and for me but they wouldn't even dream about talking about their cancer journey. My mum would not even dream about talking about her cancer journey. Mm-hmm. I think oversharing, and um, um, I talk about oversharing a lot, especially like within my community of, of women who always come to me all the time and they go, Leanne, I want to do what you do. I want to go on podcasts. I want to do the interviews and everything. Can I speak about it? Because for many, many years, I became, I suffered from burnout so much because I was giving too much of myself. Mm-hmm. I was oversharing. And I had my, I have to have my limits with what I share. And that's me. But for others, there are people online, I know that they use it as a journal and as a place to rediscover themselves. And they're comfortable sharing what they want to share with people. Mm. There's not a problem with that. I think it's something that's really personal to you. And I think, you know, that's something that, that everyone, but for me, what I found in the last year, recovering from what I did over those three months was just stop sharing every inch of me and actually discover those things for myself I really think my life changed at the age of 30 I wanted to try and gather some of that back those missing years and kind of go back into that learning again of rediscovering myself and I knew that that wasn't going to be something that I was going to be doing online I knew that it had to be something that I was doing offline I think that's both of you all the stuff you've just said shows that it's not that the hope that it's not just darkness and the yeah. but I think a lot of it comes from where you've got to now for both of you which is that you've had to do a lot of work yeah and you can have to continue to do a lot of work so just so kind of final point I guess if somebody's listening to this and they haven't got to where you are at the moment which is where they can 
see that chink of light or they can think of hope. Is there anything that you think that people can do to get to that? Start gratitude. (laughs) I would say don't be so afraid of the the negative stories that you miss out on the stories of hope. Mm. You know, because there are, like Leanne said, there there are so many stories that show long-term survival. And that's all I wanted 13 years ago. That's all I just, and I didn't, I didn't, I just, that's all I wanted to know is that I might be here in five years, 10 years, 15 years. That's all, you know, that, that, that's it. But I think it's really, really trusting where you're at, trusting that if you're on this treatment program, that's going to take up your life for six months or a year, and you're, you're, you're going to be run by a schedule of appointments and the days in bed and the managing this, time will go remarkably quickly Mm. you will come through that physical battering and then it's when you emerge from the other side it's it's understanding that there are so many different phases and chapters and just leaning on whoever makes you feel safe look for safety within yourself with the people you you don't owe anyone any however small your group is your core your core group you don't this isn't the time to be making everyone else feel feel okay yeah Mm -hmm you know um, I agree and don't be afraid to reach out and don't be afraid to I would have done anything to have had access to what I've got access to now it would have changed my whole experience I think both that's what both of you are doing Mm. isn't it because I guess maybe you've got in your in the back of your mind you've got what did I need what did I feel Mm. when I was first going through this and you've now got years and network and all of that stuff but back then you you didn't and that's what you're giving people now that's that's the kind of game changer there's so much and and this is you know and I think Leanne and I you know I'm so glad you and I have connected but we're doing different things in in different ways and yeah you're doing the black women rising is so phenomenal and so rooted and so it's there it's your foundation you know and I think what I kind of almost have my own street corner version of it can be okay you know and I'm almost telling myself you know let's all come together let's hold each other you're not alone yeah like, am I yeah. That to the people listening or am I or you know I'm needing to hear that you know but yeah it, but Emma you also you put yourself down and you don't realize that you are also yeah, very you're amazing so. you're such a lovely soul and uh, and so many people really um I said it to you before as well before we even connected so many people, you know, resonate with the same thing that I do with you is this beautiful, honest um, energy. Mm. And it's funny because in the last few years, I must admit, Black Women Rising and running Black Women Rising and the difficulties I've had running the charity. I think we need to set up a business anyway. It toughens you up, doesn't it? Mm. But running Black Women Rising, particularly rather than my other business that I've run for 22 years, it's toughened me really differently. And so... I it's so funny I sit here as a completely different person than I was four years ago specifically when it comes to talking about cancer um I'm in a very different space with it so it's funny you know when I when I hear you speak Emma I was also very much like that at the beginning and I think one thing I've learned in in the in the space of cancer is that everyone has a very very different journey Mm -hmm. and everyone is received very very differently in my ideal world, when I first started Black Women Rising, it was like, come on, guys, let's all get together. And I'm not talking about black versus whites. I'm talking about, look, don't you know, like, there's so much deaths in the black community from cancer. Black women are more t- are twice as likely to, to be diagnosed with late stage cancer. 
rather than our white counterparts. You know, um, our black women are really, really struggling with all this stigma going on at home. They need safe spaces and all this stuff. And what has happened effectively is people going, you're making it up. You're talking crap. You're race baiting. Stop making it all about you. You're this, you're that. I've had all of that back. Mm. by being open and being honest about our journeys and being honest about our difficulties so we experience exactly the same things as everyone else that goes through cancer multiple diagnoses late stage cancers but what we're getting back is a lot of the time a lot of hate on top of that Mm. because we're speaking about it from the black perspective which is very different than the white perspective Mm. there is no one going through it more difficult than the other but they are two different experiences. So this mm-hmm. is what I'm learning today on this call is that there is going to be ways that you do stuff. There's going to be a ways that we do stuff. There's going to be ways that your listeners are going to do stuff and, and go through it. Mm-hmm. I think we need to find a lovely common ground here. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing to hold on to is that there is hope, you know, and this is what I'm passing down to everyone at the moment is, is to find those glimmers of hope. And when you can't, reverting back to something that I think is quite simple in a sense to do but just finding at least one thing one thing people can be thankful for and if there's one person that you can find whether it be online or whether it be in the flesh that you can talk to and you can relate to I think those are two really small things to some some might be big things to another but I think that these are two really good places to start, you know. And I remember when I was going through cancer, first of all, most, I, I lost a lot of friends and a lot of people distanced themselves. And I had three friends that I had that were around me. And I'm a person, I've always been surrounded by loads of people, but I had three people that I could count on. They didn't understand about my cancer journey, but I, I did have a space that I could speak mm. to them. But then I'm meeting women now that don't have anyone and they come to Black Women Rising or they come to our support groups where they can meet people and have this common thing. And as a result, people are getting through their journeys, happy, healthy than ever before. So my thing, to be honest with you, is to pass down to anyone listening is try and find at least one thing you can and try and find someone that you can relate to. And I'm telling you, even if you can't in the flesh, there are now some beautiful spaces, centres, um, and, and organisations um, that are just out there willing to connect you with people that you can meet that have a, an amazing common ground. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> wow. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much to Emma and Leanne. Genuinely, two lovely women really trying to help others while working through their own stuff and not pretending that it's easy or they know all the answers, but they're really good communicators. Um, Emma created a reel about how to help someone who's been diagnosed, so I've had a link to that in the notes. Thank you again to Natural Matter for sponsoring this series. I'd love to hear from you. If you're enjoying the podcast, a rate or review on iTunes would be excellent. Thank you so much. And you can contact me by emailing podcast at don'tbuyherflowers.com. The next episode after this is actually a business episode. We're going to be doing those once a month in between our kind of normal episodes. So if you're interested in that or you're not interested in that, we'll flag it at the start of the episode and in the title. Thank you so much for listening and have a really good week. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.